Welcome to Final Girl Friday. My name is Molly, and I like scary movies. Tonight, I'll be hanging out with my friend and fellow podcaster, Christy, of That Horror Witch Podcast, looking back at one of the films that raised us, The Craft, from 1996. That's it, you guys. Sarah's a fourth north, south, east, and west. We can make things happen. I mean, this is it. This is real. <laughs> Shit. I'm so excited to finally have Christy on the show. We've been talking about doing this for months, and it finally happened. Before we can dive into it, though, I do have a couple of quick points of interest. For my fellow My Bloody Valentine fans, a lot of us have been waiting for a My Bloody Valentine sequel for a very long time, knowing how passionate George Mihalka is about the idea, and waiting for something to happen with that is its own kind of small torture. But I found something that eases the pain a little bit. Stop the Killer, in partnership with Fright Rags, is releasing an officially licensed board game based on the 1981 slasher, and it looks fantastic. It's evidently a cooperative game for one to four players, which makes me so happy. I wish all board games featured a one-player variant. At StopTheKiller.com, the gameplay is described as players move around the board in all directions, collecting weapons, drawing cards, working around police roadblocks, using the secret mind tunnel, and trying not to get their hearts ripped out of their chests in an effort to land on Harry's space for a confrontation. There's also an optional drinking game built into the board, which I don't drink, so normally that wouldn't appeal to me, but I can't imagine a more appropriate minigame to incorporate into a My Bloody Valentine board game. Like, the only thing that would feel more fitting is if the game came with a case of Moosehead beer. There are 14 days left of the Kickstarter for this game. They have obliterated their initial goal of 15,000. They're up to almost 40k with over 600 backers, and the game's estimated delivery is January of 2023. In the video they have on the Kickstarter, it seems this game has been fully endorsed by George Mihalka. I just, I think it looks like it's going to be so much fun. <laughs> hey, all you rabbit horror fans out there. I'm George Mihalka, director of the original My Bloody Valentine. And we've developed this killer board game that puts you in the film against Harry Warden. And now the next thing that I want to talk about, I only partly understand it. So I was reluctant to share the information just because I can't fully wrap my head around it, but I want to pass it along. There are a lot of rumors going around right now that Matthew Lillard is soon to star in a new vampire film called Let Them Die. From what I understand, there has been no confirmation whatsoever that he will be in the film at all, much less the star of it, but he is producing it. Let Them Die is the very first film produced through Matthew Lillard and Bill Wordy's decentralized movie studio, Midnight Movie Club. It's pitched as a community of film lovers who want to be more than just passive viewers. The company plans to produce films often voted on by members of the Midnight Movie Club community. They're also launching what they call Night School, which they say will provide valuable filmmaking resources without tuition fees. So basically an online film school. Where it gets into what for me is, is kind of confusing territory is that it's apparently an NFT-based company. And I don't fucking understand what NFTs are, guys. I just, I can't wrap my brain around them. <laughs> 
If anybody listening understands NFTs in a way that can be broken down to like a kindergarten level, please reach out to me and explain to me what this means. I can confirm that Let Them Die will be the first film released by Midnight Movie Club. All we really know about the movie so far is that it is a vampire movie inspired by films like Near Dark and Lost Boys, and that Matthew Lillard will be involved in it somehow. We just don't have any actual confirmation yet that he'll be in the film. For a little recommended viewing, I recently watched a film on Shudder called Vicious Fun, directed by Cody Callahan, released in 2020. I liked it so much that I went onto Amazon and bought a copy of it during the closing credits. <laughs> the film is set in the early 80s, the year I was born, actually, 1983. It stars Evan Marsh as a bumbling idiot in the vein of Ash Williams, who is unrequitedly in love with his roommate and follows a guy she's dating to this little restaurant that turns out to host a support group for serial killers. The cast of killers include Julian Richings as Fritz, which was the selling point for me of the film, like that's what drew me in, Robert Maillet, David Koechner, Sean Beck, and and Ari Millen as Bob. I was not familiar with Ari Millen before seeing this movie. I just fell immediately in love with him. The character of Bob is like a mix between Patrick Bateman and Trent from the Friday the 13th remake. And he's just, he's perfect. The film is a clever and at times goofy horror comedy with excellent SFX done in part by Sean Hunter, who was a part of the makeup department for Ready or Not and Jigsaw. And a uh, fun fact, Sean was also a uh, prosthetic limb technician for The Craft Legacy, which I will be talking about during the wrap-up of this episode. <laughs> Vicious Fun also features a wonderful score from Steph Copeland. It's just such a good fucking time. It's the best thing I've seen on Shudder all year, and I just, I highly recommend it. Sometimes the horror genre can blend with other genres, though. Then you get subgenres. Now, these are where you can sometimes find some really interesting films that are shocking, surprising. Well, if I do say so myself, downright delightful. Tony, I need you to get out more. We also have a new film from Blumhouse coming out at the end of May called Torn Hearts that I'm stupidly excited about because it features Katie Seagal playing what iHorror.com describes as a twisted version of Loretta Lynn combined with Annie Wilkes. The movie seems to follow two friends who are aspiring country music stars who trek out to this like Dickensian mansion owned by a legendary singer named Harper Dutch, played by Katie Seagal, hoping that she will record a song with them. Things go south pretty quickly with Harper Dutch trying to kill them and the girls determined to prove themselves and their dedication to her fight to survive. I actually don't recommend watching the trailer. <laughs> it's one of those trailers that just seems to give away the entire film. Maybe I'm wrong, but I felt like I had just watched the entire movie when the trailer was over. But I do recommend looking into the film because, God, if you're a fan of Katie Seagal, which I have loved that woman since I was a child, this looks like it's going to be such an amazing role for her. I noticed the moment you walked in the door, you have that extra something special. You're a real star. All right, I think that's all I've got for this week, which means it's time to dive into the movie. If you're new to this podcast and you don't hate it, stay tuned until the end of the episode for information on Final Girl Friday elsewhere. And don't forget to check out Christy's podcast. We're going to talk about it a couple of times throughout the conversation, and I'll mention it again in the wrap-up, but her podcast is That Horror Witch. It's available at Anchor.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, basically anywhere you can find my podcast, you can find hers. And her birthday was yesterday, actually. Happy birthday, Christy. As usual, if you haven't seen The Craft, from 1996, stop everything you're doing and please go watch it. Otherwise, proceed with caution. There will be many spoilers ahead. Hey, Christy. 
Hi. Welcome <laughs> to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. So glad that you're here. And I'm really looking forward to talking about, mm-hmm. I know it's a movie that is so near and dear to both our hearts. But before we do that, you recently, I mean, I guess not that recently anymore, but you yeah. uh, are hosting your own podcast now. Yes, I am. It's called That Horror Witch Podcast. I actually wanted to start it before the world went to shit. I finally took that leap in January of this year. I review movies that are kind of like absurd and I love true crime as well. I want to do that eventually. A little bit of everything if you like more serious horror movies or funny horror movies. I just recorded my 13th episode tonight. So You're making me look bad. Stop. Slow down. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you are so good at regular content yeah. and it's always so thought provoking and just I love your reviews so much. You're going to catch up to me within like half of a year. You're going to be like more episodes than I have. <laughs> yeah, but that's because my anxiety is just like, you need to do this. Do it now. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, and I'm a huge fan and I'm really glad that you agreed to come over here and, and hang out with me. But We're also going to be hanging out on your podcast as well. Yes, we are. (laughs) Really excited about that. We're going to be splitting this conversation up into two parts. So if you enjoy our chat over here, head over to That Horror Witch for part two. Yay. (laughs) All right. But for now, let's talk about the craft. He takes everything that's gone wrong in your life and he makes it all better again. (sighs) Nothing makes everything all better again. Maybe not for you. You're in your early 30s. I'm in my late 30s. But we're essentially of the same generation. So I imagine you grew up on the craft. Oh, oh, hell yeah. I think I ended up watching it in elementary school, actually, when I was probably eight or maybe 10. And that's actually pretty much what got me into witchcraft because it is the most realistic aside from like the whole face changing thing and the whole like levitating. Thanks to Feruza, it's got the most realistic elements to it. That's what really drew me into it. I was even getting books on like fortune telling and stuff. I kind of have like a between believing in science and then having like my witchy rituals that I do. (laughs) No, I love it. I've never talked about witchcraft on the show and it's really fun to get insight, not just to somebody who is uh, really into the craft, but is actually really into the craft. Yeah. Nice. (laughs) A couple of the stars of this film themselves are also into it, even to this day, right? I I know Rachel True uh, wrote a book on tarot reading. And I know Florida yes. Balk managed a magic shop for a while. Yeah, I'm planning on buying Rachel True's tarot deck. She has a tarot deck, too. And it looks yeah. really awesome. I saw it on her Instagram. So I was like, oh, shit. So she really is about that life. Because, yeah, like I knew about Feruza being into it and all that and pretty much being a creative consultant on the movie as well. And she did have a store Feruza. I tried to look it up, but I couldn't find it. I think it was called Apothic or something. Yeah, I don't know. I think I read somewhere. I think it was like 2011. Maybe she sold the business. Like, I can't remember the exact date, but I I remember reading at some point that she sold it. Yeah, I think that's so great, especially because one of the things that I, I love most about this movie isn't necessarily so much the witchy representation because that wasn't really a part of my youth but the kind of alternative slash goth representation in this movie yes it is one of the most authentically goth teen movies i've ever seen yeah (laughs) and a huge part of that is feruza and you know she brought it 
into the film with her, just like she brought that sort of desire to accurately depict what young kids getting into witchcraft would be like and what they would be doing. And so it's a very authentic film. And the amount of women our age who were raised on this film is staggering. Yes. <laughs> yeah, everyone that I've always met, whether they were a friend or not, has seen this movie and loved this movie in one way or the other. If you are the outcast in school, if you are the goth kid, or, you know, you're the shy kid, there's something in it for everyone. And that's yeah, what true. I really love. Like, it doesn't matter what your background is, you're gonna take something from this movie. Absolutely. I know, too, that Andrew Fleming wanted for this to be a PG-13 film so that it could reach a younger audience and that no matter what they did, they were never going to get that PG-13 rating because it was a film that featured teenage girls practicing witchcraft. So it was it got an, an R rating regardless. Um, yeah. And yet still it managed to reach just a seemingly infinite number of young kids, not just girls, you know, yeah. just kids in general. So I love that they tried to keep it away from the youth, but the youth found it anyway. <laughs> Exactly. It is better that you should rush upon this blade than enter the circle with fear in your heart. How do you enter? With perfect love and perfect trust. Can we just take a second to appreciate Deborah Everton? One of my favorite films in terms of costume design of the 90s. She did such yes. a spectacular job of dressing these girls. Oh my God. Because you could sense each of the girls' personalities through the clothes. Oh yeah. Rochelle, who's Rachel True's character. She's more of like a bohemian. She's got like butterflies all the time. Kind of like floral stuff all the time. Flower child. And then yeah. Bonnie, who goes from like covered up in hoodies, trying to hide herself. And then once she's able to, you know, feel more confident in her skin, feel beautiful, showing off her arms and all that. And she'll yeah, she's like, oh, God, wait, I'm Nev Campbell. Exactly. <laughs> I can't dress like this. I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's what always cracks me up when they try to do that to like gorgeous girls. And it's like, oh, yeah, no, we're going to like put her in a hoodie and like put her in like no makeup and make her hair look greasy but then she still looks like freaking Nev Campbell. I do really love Nev Campbell's body language as Bonnie really That's, does sell it. Yeah. So each of the girls kind of has their own individual journey. You have Rochelle dealing with racially motivated bullying and trying to kind of work things out with Laura Lizzie with her bully which fucking breaks my heart like she's trying to find a place of peace for herself and also with Laura Bonnie is dealing with the fact that her body is covered in these burn scars that she has absolutely no confidence in herself Nancy feels like she's poor white trash um no. you know, she lives in a trailer with her mother and her mother's boyfriend who's like hitting on her and it's it's you know it's a pretty disgusting oh god he's fucking revolting and then I um hate him. <laughs> wasn't he also Paulette's ex-husband and legally blonde please tell me that that's the same guy Oh, I hope he is. I'm pretty sure it's the same guy. Hold on. Let me look it up. <laughs> um, I'm going to laugh if it is. <laughs> I'm almost positive. He like always gets cast to play like really like scuzzy, scuzzy guy. guy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because he does it yeah. so well. Yep, do it, Dewey Nukem. <gasps> it <Yeah>. was. It was. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah, so he's the guy you call to play a scuzzy guy. Yeah. <laughs> Supposed to act like a father to the girl. I ain't her father. Thank God. Which of the girls would you say that you identify with the most? I wanted to be Nancy for the style and the fact <laughs> that she has so much confidence in herself despite yeah. like shitty upbringing. 
Uh, but I do feel like I'm a Sarah. Yeah. Because I'm more like kind of quiet and sadly I've dealt with self-harm too. I was kind of glad that they did put that in there. They didn't really sugarcoat it. They they brought it up. That's a very deep fucking subject too, especially in a teen movie. Yeah. I fucking love Sarah. Robin Tunney was such an exquisite choice for her because she does that introspective self-loathing but at the same time mm-hmm. strength like very well yeah yeah she uses her vulnerability as her superpower like that's yeah. what helps her against nancy nancy's full of rage and she has misdirected rage mm-hmm. and sarah she has like this you know she's hurting herself and i don't think she necessarily hated herself she just needed an outlet and nancy fucking mocks her for it And, like, mocks her for crying and everything and, like, tells her to, like, kill herself. But then she uses that to her advantage. And she lets Nancy basically, like, destroy herself because she's so fucking drunk with power and the anger that it's easy for her to fucking trick her. And, you know, Nancy (laughs) with that iconic fucking scene... Yeah. <laughs> the that, scene that reminds me yeah. it's a horror movie. Every time I watch yes. The Craft, that's the scene that reminds me, oh, wait, yeah, no, The Craft is a horror movie. He's sorry. Oh, he's sorry. 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 He's sorry. He's sorry. He's sorry. 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 That scene... With her raging voice, it just reverberates in my mind when I hear a guy telling someone some bullshit. (laughs) I just think of that, and I'm like, "Mm, should I turn Nancy right now? Yeah. Especially when she starts going on, like, because he's like, oh, you're just jealous. And she's like, jealous? You don't even exist to me. She calls him nothing, and she said, like, you treat women like whores when you're the whore, and that has to stop. And then that's when she goes on her little screaming tirade (laughs) you know i did have a question though it's one of my favorite scenes of the film definitely one of the most iconic of the the movie and i love Faruza's performance and i I just i love everything that happens it's fucking terrifying and and incredible but her reaction when he first rejects her because like she goes to the party manipulates him upstairs and then does actually claim that she's trying to like take his mind off of sarah and she attempts Mm -hmm. to seduce him and then that fails and during the rejection she looks genuinely hurt and upset and then Mm -hmm. it's like the thought of masquerading as sarah occurs to her there in the moment in that room Mm -hmm. and they're like full hot and heavy Yeah, She doesn't actually attack him until Sarah comes into the room. So what is your take on that whole thing? Because I still don't quite know. I can't figure it out. (laughs) Uh, You know, a part of me would like to think that Nancy's trying to be a good friend, stick up for her friend. But also, I feel like throughout the whole movie, Nancy's been like jealous of Sarah since day one. Since Mm -hmm. she met her. Because Sarah's the one that has her magic happen pretty much immediately. And even though Nancy initially got rejected by Chris and, like, slut-shamed by Chris. And then, yeah, he did the same thing to Sarah until, like, she did her spell and everything. I think it might have been, like, the attention. Because when you're a teenage girl, like, for some reason you think, like, male attention is, like, the ultimate. Yeah. 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 So, and then you have Nancy and Sarah, who are pretty much polar opposites of each other, of, like, different aspects of the female teenage experience, and how 
you wield more power than you realize. And I feel like with Nancy, it was a little bit of a manipulation. I think she did kind of enjoy getting the attention, but then also kind of using her supposed anger for Sarah as a way to get back at Chris. I think she just kind of wanted to treat Chris how he treated her. Like, oh, hey, I'm going to use you for sex and then tell you that you're nothing. And I think, you know, she was kind of holding out for like a moment to do this. And I think with Sarah, it just gave her a a better excuse to actually go after him. And who wouldn't want to tell off a fucking misogynistic pig who's a rapist and everything, you know, make him pay for how he's treating women in general. Because even if, say, in this world, Sarah were to try to report it, she wouldn't have been able to get anywhere with it. So... I don't know. I think it's a mixed bag with Nancy, with what she's getting out of it. Right. Like, well, and Farouz's performance yeah. is so fucking layered. Oh know? my god, yes. <laughs> you could write a whole paper on that scene alone with Farouz's yeah. fucking acting. It was yes. phenomenal. Nancy, get off the bed. Look, you scared the shit out of him. Thank you very much. Let's go. One thing that I, I noticed, you know, going back and rewatching, which I say that like I went back and rewatched the craft specifically <laughs> for our conversation, but this is a movie that I pop in regularly. Yeah. You know, I'm really impressed that with the exception of like maybe two effects that I can think of, mm-hmm. the special effects in this film really hold up. Yeah, they do. Like it's, it's almost 30 years old. And for the most part, the effects are just fucking top notch still by today's standards. Mm hmm. I really did. Yeah. <laughs> even even the ones that kind of don't look that great, uh, like Nancy walking on water or Coming out Sarah mirror, changing yeah. her hair color. Like that looked oh, like God. some really that, computer stuff. <laughs> that one is the worst. It's the it's worst. Clip art. That's what it looked like. <laughs> clip art on her yeah. head. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you do what you do, but I feel like they could have possibly made it more seamless. I know that it was like a process to do all that shit and they did the best they could, but I think it was exacerbated by the fact that it was a wig. You know, like I think maybe if it hadn't been a wig, maybe yeah. they could have made the effect look a little more natural. But the hair itself at the hairline already looks pretty unnatural. Yeah. Um, In that in that position, Cause like for the most part, I feel like you can't really tell her hair is a wig. Like, through the film. But yeah, the way that they had her pushing her hands over the hair, it really accentuated the fact that that hairline was not real. So I think maybe that made it worse. But yeah, that's the worst effect in the film. I know. And honestly, I know a lot of people say like, oh, it looks like a bad wig. It looks like a bad wig. I was actually fooled by it. I didn't know that it was a wig for years until I, I think I looked it up or yeah, like I found out Ramantani shaved her head for Empire Records and then she had to wear a wig. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, I mean, my hair looks like that on like a good day. So, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, it fooled me. Yeah, I I was also confused by Empire Records was one of my favorite movies when I was a kid and I knew that it came out before this, but I didn't, I never made the connection. I just always assumed that she had shot the craft first. So, yeah, so I was really impressed with the special effects. I mean, that yeah, there are definitely a few that don't hold up, like with the hairline. And um, the explosion at the magic shop looked a little weird, even for 96. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> so that doesn't really hold up. I really like the practical effect of creating essentially a, a Feruza bulk dummy and then letting live bugs and snakes crawl all over it. I felt like that was edited together very well. Yeah. Um, and even just like when Sarah's having the, the nightmare of the three of them and they they come in flying like, uh, again, yeah. like the Wicked Witch of the West. Like, yes. You know, that was just harnesses. Like, so the, the practical effects, because they were almost all practical, they still hold up really well. Exactly. And that's why it'll always outshine CGI because like they had to make that shit look real because if they didn't, they were fucked. (laughs) Are we actually having a theological conversation here? I mean, it's fun. It's scary. It gives a shit. What would you say is the scariest moment in the film for you? Cool. Uh... Mm. Even though I'm not afraid of snakes, I am not a fan of bugs. It's a cross between the terrifying crash glamour that Nancy puts on the TV. That, oh, God, yeah. Yeah, that Sarah's parents oh, got a up. fucking plane crash. And yeah. they couldn't play that on TV for the longest time because of 9-11. And, uh, oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I think they had to, like, put a warning or something, or they severely cut it out. And um, it's that, and definitely when Nancy is making the whole house be overrun with bugs and snakes (laughs) and everything, when they're coming out of the fucking sink and all that, and it's fucking disgusting and that's when i'm like oh yeah that's right this is a fucking horror movie (laughs) and just a little random fact pat devins was a technical advisor for the witchcraft in the film and she apparently runs covenant of the goddess she's like a high priestess and everything and she wrote a lot of the chants and she wanted more uh realism in the film and someone who actually practices and everything because they didn't want to piss off like the real witches and like get cursed and hexed and everything (laughs) yeah (laughs) so every time they did like an incantation or whatever the weather kept fucking things up like that fucking beach scene got like demolished the whole set yeah i heard that yeah yeah and it freaked them the fuck out they're like oh shit (laughs) (laughs) just stop fucking with nature right now (laughs) oh no Which I thought was really, really cool. Because, you know, like, how can you not get, like, freaked out when you're getting, like, pretty much authentic spells and everything? Because I was worried about that, too. I was like, wait, because you really can, like, invoke some shit. It doesn't take much. What about yours? Uh, what about, okay, so scariest moment in the movie for me. I ask these questions and then I never think about my own answers to them until <laughs> like it's too late. Um, I guess for me, it's going to sound really hokey, but I think the moment when Sarah is in the bathroom, I think it was the morning after she had the nightmare of the girl and she's yeah. in the bathroom alone and she's crying. And suddenly Nancy like burst into the bathroom stall. Yeah. I don't know why that moment really gets me, but I just, because it's such a vulnerable moment for Sarah at that point, you are so deep in it with her, mm-hmm. you know, and you're scared for her. Like Nancy, that yeah. nightmare I think is really the moment where Nancy genuinely becomes like a, a pretty serious threat, not just in Sarah's eyes, but in the audience's eyes as well. So that kind of gets me. And then um, the moment when Chris shows up at uh, at Sarah's house at like yeah. three in the morning. 
also pretty fucking unnerving. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's a funny conversation, but it's scary. It is scary because it's it's fucking real life. I don't know what's happening to me. I, I, I can't eat. I can't sleep. Uh, can I help you? No, nobody can help me. I will say, though, like as much of a pile of garbage as he is, I love Skeet Ulrich's performance. Oh, yeah. He, he does is, such a great job. He really does. Well, that's why I appreciate him so much. He really goes deep into a fucking character. He starts out as a fucking douchebag and then he becomes really obsessive and terrifying. And because he's cute, we're supposed to be like, Well, no, he's not going to do anything bad. And it's, you know, the usual misconception of, oh, well, if you think the guy's cute, then it's okay. And it's like, no. And that's what I love about Skeet Ulrich and why I feel like he's vastly underused because absolutely. he just seemed to me, he, like you said, he kind of disappears into this very believable, even though he was in his 20s, believable teenage athlete. Yes, he was Skeet Ulrich, so he was a smoke show, but like he was still like your everyday <laughs> average teen kid. And he he sold that very well. He sold being the douchebag and then being obsessively, uncontrollably in love. There's so much going on with the character of Chris throughout this movie because there are parts when mm-hmm. he's completely lost and disoriented. There are parts where he almost yeah. kind of returns to himself for a second. He's terrified. Yeah. He, you know, yeah. He's so fucking talented and like oh, underrated yeah. as fuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, sometimes it's like we're one person, you know what I mean? No, I'm not sure. (laughs) I'm not sure either. That's so funny. I was just thinking, I have no idea what I'm talking about. I know we talked about who we relate to the most, but like the P.I.'s de resistance in terms of this film that has like a lot of fucking great characters. Who would be your favorite? Oh, I used to think it was Bonnie or Sarah, but I think it's, I definitely got to go with Nancy. (laughs) She's just. (laughs) There is not a single boring scene with her in it. (laughs) Yeah. There's no way. Like, she's so fucking entertaining to watch. So much so that it made me not want to (laughs) see the newer one. Because I was like, I don't want this image in my head ruined. Because apparently she makes a cameo appearance or something like that. I don't want to know. I don't really care. Yeah, I, I was a little confused. By the title of the new Craft film, because the Craft legacy suggests to me that there would be uh, more than one character returning, for one thing, and that maybe we would get a little bit more than just like a shot of a picture of Nancy in the trailer. I I just expected to see something a little bit more that tied back a little bit more to the original one. They didn't lean on that at all in the trailer. They presented it as an entirely new story. Right. Um, I didn't fucking ask for it. (laughs) Right, right. But I mean, and I can appreciate wanting to create a new version of the craft story for a younger generation that might be a little bit more relatable. Although I do think that the craft is fairly timeless. There is for some young people a disconnect the the further back in time you go. And so I can see the temptation to create like a new version of the story. What really put me off, though, were like the sparkly, glittery, CGI thing in a Yes. (laughs) It was like, wait, so you're creating like cartoon magic for them? Yeah, that I'm right there with you because that's exactly why I was put off from it. I was like, are you fucking kidding me right now? (laughs) What I wanted was the original four. Get the band back together. If they're all willing to go to a convention together, every one of them, 
and meet people, they are clearly okay with probably working together again. I wanted to see them present day, see Nancy still, you know, shackled to the bed, see if she tried to escape. And then seeing what Bonnie and Rochelle are up to, if Sarah just, like, went in the middle of the woods to hide from everybody because she's like, no, fuck this shit. I don't yeah. know. I hate to play the ageism card, but I feel like that's probably a big part of why. Because if they wanted to market the craft to a younger audience, they're not going to put women in their 40s and 50s in the lead. They're just not. Ever since I had a little girl, I said, all I want in life is a jukebox that plays nothing but Connie Francis records. That's great. Mm -hmm. Who's Connie Francis? My favorite character in the craft is actually Nancy's mom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I yeah. fucking love Helen Shaver and the... the when they when they move into the penthouse and the girls come over to like hang out like right before they do the glamours and she's like trying to explain to them why her Connie Francis jukebox is such a big deal and yes. like, they couldn't care less when she smacks she smacks Nancy's ass at one point in this like adorable mom way that just mm -hmm. I fucking love her mom. Yeah, and I honestly felt kind of bad for her because oh, yeah. she's so excited about like her new house, her new jukebox and everything. And she's like, let's have a housewarming party. And, you know, and then she has the fucking door slammed on her. And I'm like, oh, I'm okay. You and let you talk about <laughs> Connie Francis. Like, it's okay. <laughs> but, but Connie Francis was... <laughs> 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 oh, uh, yeah. Wait. Oh, and she goes, wait a minute. And I love how she yeah. says that. <laughs> she just wants so desperately to hang out with the girls and they're just so mean to her. And she did crack me up though when they were discussing, you know, the will and everything. And she's trying to play the sad widow part. It's <laughs> tell she's actually kind of happy that he died. Yeah. But then, you know, as soon as they're told about like they're getting every penny. She, like, lit the fuck up, and that's when, you know, I really loved her. That was one of my favorite moments. First of all, because both Helen Shaver and Faruza Bulk, their reactions are amazing. Just hysterical, joyous laughter. And you get to see, Faruza has just one of my favorite mouths, which I guess is, like, a weird thing to say about someone. <laughs> but, like, I love Faruza Bulk's mouth so much. And when she's, like, ecstatically happy, there's this yeah. little tinge of psychotic. <laughs> to it that just makes me so happy and uh but yeah. that moment when they hug each other because it's really the that and her giving ray the heart attack in the first place those two moments are like the only two tender moments that we really get from nancy to her mom yeah and yeah and which is sad that one of them is you know committing murder <laughs> we, do, we don't see many tender moments between the two of them and, and i love that we got that moment between them in the trailer yeah it was it was really cute and you know i think nancy deep down does love her mother because like you know it's, it was probably them for the longest time and then ray had to go and fuck everything up and i felt bad for her mom because you know you could tell that she dealt with a lot with him too and she's just with him to fucking survive yeah it's a shame murder had to like change their lives and make them happy but yeah you gotta do what you gotta do That 
that does bring me to the one thing. So I only have one complaint about this movie. And this is after decades of trying to pick it apart and really feel how, you know, figure out how I feel about it. There is only one thing I don't like about the craft. I don't like the interaction between Sarah, Bonnie and Rochelle toward the very end before we see, you know, what happened to Nancy. I liked at first that Bonnie and Rochelle were coming back to kind of make amends with Sarah. And it yeah. seemed like they had been humbled by the experience. And I was like, oh, cool. So through all of this, Sarah is still going to be able to make like a real connection with these girls. And they're going to the friendship is going to blossom and they will be stronger for it. They can bounce back from this, right. you know. And then walking away from her, I think it's Bonnie that makes the mm -hmm. snide comment to Rochelle under her breath. Like, I thought she doesn't even have her powers anymore. And I'm like, yeah. really? Why did they have to be bitches all the way up to the very end? Like, what was the point of that? Can I we just know. let them make amends and move on? Yeah, and I feel like it was kind of unrealistic, too. Like, yeah, I know there's petty shit when you're a teenage girl and you think, like, oh, this person's my enemy now. But, you know, there's also, like, we don't have to go off of a stereotype of, like, oh, well, see, girls can never get along. Yeah, so. it drives me crazy. I, I, I like being able to see the camaraderie and friendship, and I, I thought that there was such potential there at the end, because I loved when they first became friends, the montage of them kind of bonding when they take the bus out and they go out into the woods and they cast their initial spells, and, like, mm -hmm. you see them at their slumber parties. That warms my yeah. fucking heart. <laughs> right, like, especially, yeah, I love, okay, yeah, so I love the montage of like you know them doing witchy stuff but then also yeah like watching bewitched and yeah. eating ice cream and like <laughs> eating popcorn having a good old time like that's the good part of having best friends in high school and everything and that's like what you look forward to and all that absolutely make me blonde me, 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 me. no 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 make me blonde i don't think so oh come on no. hey, oh, something something to me. Something to me. what do you want um, uh, I'm a smaller ass. A smaller oh, ass. <laughs> I just want to point out that still, to this day, the opening credit sequence for The Craft is still one of my all-time favorites. Just Oh, hell yeah. It's so fucking memorable. You've got that song. Yes. It's um, Our Lady Peace doing the song Tomorrow Never Knows, which the soundtrack in general is just fucking spectacular. Oh, but that, yes. Yeah. <laughs> the masterpiece. The music is just fantastic. It was, in my opinion, the 90s was a golden age of soundtracks. Yes. Uh, you know, there were so many good ones. You had Empire Records, you had The Crow, The Saint, like all of these amazing soundtracks coming out. And this one really stands out. Oh, and there's another. They had like a legit witchy song in there. I think it's called Call to My Sisters or something like that. Oh, that's Witch's Song by Juliana Hatfield. There we go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love why. that song. Was, <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> but yeah, yeah I, I have that in my playlist too. <laughs> oh, it's such a good one. Oh, and speaking of music, have you heard Feruza Bulk's music? No. So, okay, so I was watching an interview with her from like way back when she was promoting the crafts. It was on David Letterman. And she talked in that interview about being in a band called G13. And so I was oh. like, uh, I must look this up immediately. And I yeah. couldn't find anything. But in looking for it, I discovered that for a while she was doing, I, I got the impression that it might have been like a solo music project called Armed Love Militia. Okay. And some of her music is still up on Bandcamp. There are a couple of videos on YouTube. She has one song in particular. It's called Dream 45. Fucking Christ. Mm. It is beautiful. It kind of reminds me oh. of like a like Kristen Hirsch and the Throwing Muses. It's great, man. I recommend it. It's called Armed Love Militia. And I, I don't know if she still does it. Seems like it was kind of a while ago, but it's amazing. Mm. 
So glad that we did this. This was so much fun. I know. Um, tell everybody where they can find you and, and if you have anything coming up. Yeah. So my next episode will be on the movie Cuties with Elijah Wood, Rain Wilson. It's such a good movie. If you like horror comedies, if you like zombies, especially zombified children. Oh, I'm so excited to hear that one. I have to, Rory has been trying to get me to watch Cuties for a long time and I haven't seen it. Yeah. It's on Tubi. thank Christy one more time for coming over here and hanging out with us, sharing her thoughts on the craft. I definitely recommend checking out the second half of our conversation over at That Horror Witch, where we talk about more of the behind the scenes of the film, the powerhouse that is Rachel True, Portishead, and some of our experiences growing up as weirdos. She also shares quite a bit more of her insight into the craft from the perspective of a practicing witch. That episode should be up on April 29th. Christy is much better at posting content on time than I am, so keep an eye out for that. Before I wrap things up tonight, I broke down and finally watched The Craft Legacy. All right, just remember what I always tell you. Your difference is your power. I wanted to be able to say a little something more about it as part of this episode, so... Yeah, I finally did it. I'd like to issue a secondary spoiler warning. Moving forward, if you haven't seen The Craft Legacy, I'll be spoiling a couple of major things in it. Uh, so just bear that in mind. The Craft Legacy was written and directed by Zoe Lister-Jones and released in January of last year. Legacy tells the story of Lily, a teenage girl who moves with her mother into the home of her mom's new boyfriend and his three sons. At her new school, she meets three girls who are really into witchcraft. They discover that Lily is also a witch and the four of them become a coven. In this story, all of the girls are naturally magically gifted. I didn't get the impression that the other three were in any way dependent on or leeching off of Lily. They're just, they're all magical. And that magic is often accompanied by noticeably low budget CG. The way they explain witchcraft in this movie is also different. They explain it in stages and in like the final most badass stage of magic you can shapeshift. It's ultimately revealed that Adam, Lily's mom's boyfriend, is a very powerful powerful warlock who can shapeshift into a variety of people and things, and he's trying to kill Lily for her magic power. The girls have a falling out as a result of a suicide at their school, but at the very end of the film, they just sort of show up for some reason and help Lily save the day, and then they all live happily ever after. I'm not familiar with Lister Jones as a director or an actress, actually. I, I don't think I've seen much of anything she's done, but I did get the impression that she was very passionate about this project and that she brought some of her her own real-life experiences into the film, and I, I deeply respect that. And it's pretty clear that the cast primarily the four main girls, had a lot of fun making it. Kaylee Spaney, who plays the lead character in the film Lily, she did an amazing job. She was she was fantastic. Most of the cast did really great work. Just in terms of, of acting, it was acted very well for what it was. So there are some good things 
in it. Unfortunately, what good exists in the film is greatly outweighed by all the bad. I feel it's important to note that while technically a sequel to The Craft, Legacy in no way feels like a sequel. It feels distinctly like a reboot. With that in mind, I tried so hard to look at Legacy as its own story, but it was very difficult for me to do that because this film is constantly calling back to the original in an incredibly underwhelming way. For example, the opening credit sequence, which I mentioned during my conversation with Christy, The Craft Legacy recreated that opening credit sequence with the same font in the same color over the same kind of clouds, but it only actually shows you that for less than, I think, three seconds. It's just a couple of seconds before it hard cuts into its own opening credit sequence. And that's an example of something that happens repeatedly throughout the film, where they will reference the original film visually for a fraction of a second before moving on to do their own thing, it's a difficult film to watch because, you know, when you watch a reboot or a remake, I think the best practice is to divorce yourself from the original film and try to enjoy the reboot as its own entity, right? You can't do that with The Craft Legacy. It won't let you. And then on the other hand, when you're watching a sequel, you're expected to bring your knowledge of and your love for the original lore into the continuation of that story. There, there is a certain degree of expectation with a sequel that the story you were once presented with will be continued. And Legacy doesn't really do that either. The only way that Legacy actually continues The Craft story is revealing at the very end of the film that Lily, the main character that we've been following, is Nancy's daughter, which raises far more questions than it answers. Lily is a powerful natural witch whose understanding of her abilities and her initial connection with the other members of her coven kind of mirrors that of Sarah. And Kaylee Spaney actually does kind of look like Robin Tunney. So I would have been perfectly content with it being revealed that Lily was Sarah's daughter, but she's not. She's Nancy's daughter for some reason, even though it's a hell of a lot harder to explain Nancy having a daughter than it would have been for Sarah. Nancy has been locked up in the asylum this entire time, so the implication is that either she had a child within the asylum as a result of sexual assault, and I, I'm sorry, I will never accept that as canon. If that was the implication, it just feels incredibly mean-spirited. And then another theory I've heard is that Nancy was actually pregnant with Menel's baby, <laughs> that Lily was a, a byproduct of Nancy taking Menel into herself, which <laughs> is less offensive to me than the sexual assault thing, but it still still raises more questions than it answers. The lack of follow-through in the Nancy having a daughter storyline is frustrating enough, but then you add to that the fact that Feruza Bulk has no lines. She's just sitting there in the asylum at the very end of the film. Lily walks into the room and, and says, hi, I'm Lily, I'm your daughter. And Nancy turns to the camera, looking incredibly disheveled and unhappy. And then it ends. So, like, for a film called The Craft Legacy, it offered absolutely no love for its legacy character. The end of this film kind of reminded me of the beginning of Halloween Resurrection. It evoked the same feelings from me. <laughs> Another major problem I feel the film has is rather than telling four individual stories and bridging them together with the magic, the focus of this film is strictly Lily. The other three girls in Lily's coven are practically footnotes. There's no character development for any of them. I'm not being emphatic. They, they don't have stories. We see the three of them together at the beginning of the film in one of the many callbacks to the original where it's just the three of them without Lily calling the corners and they have some kind of cute dialogue 
dialogue, but we don't learn anything about them throughout the course of the film that provides us with any insight into who they are, what their lives are like. So that sense of sisterhood and the friendships within the film that were so special in the craft, they just don't exist here. They did try to modernize the exploration of the young self in a way that had a lot of potential. One of the members of the coven is trans. There is a subplot with Timmy, with him sort of trying to come to terms with his own sexuality and exploring that. It's certainly not the worst effort I've seen from Blumhouse in terms of, of social commentary. Like, Blumhouse is known for going overboard, and this was not that bad. But then at the same time, it, it features dialogue like this. Who sent you a message? Telepathic. Yeah! Just like telepathically communicating with you, MBD. JK, it's like a VBD for sure because now you're actually here. And we on some shit IRL. Okay, can somebody translate? It's just, it, it's not easy for a 38-year-old, especially one who grew up on the original craft, to connect to this film, which is fair because I'm not the target audience. All in all, I was deeply disappointed by this film. And personally, I think the best thing they could have done would have been to remove all of the references to the original craft, get rid of that scene at the very end with Nancy, and just let this be its own story. If you're a fan of the original film, if the craft is precious to you, I would recommend skipping this one. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Are you a fan of the craft? Did you grow up on it like we did? If so, which of the four girls did you like the most or relate to the most? I would love to hear any and all of your thoughts on the original film or the craft legacy, so please feel free to reach out to me. You can find me on the Slasher app. My username is Final Girl Friday, Instagram at Molly Oblivion, or if you prefer old school correspondence, you can email me at finalgirlconfessions at gmail.com. If you enjoy this podcast and you feel compelled to support it financially, head over to my Patreon patreon.com forward slash final girl friday over there you'll find my secondary film review series right and early as well as unreleased content semi-regular updates etc otherwise i'm just grateful you guys are here and listening don't forget to check out that horror witch podcast as well i mean not to tell you what to do but it's it's pretty great podcast i hope you guys have a killer weekend i'll be back soon i actually have a couple of uh, fangirls guides planned for the next couple of months i haven't done a fangirls guide in a long time over the course of the next few weeks i'm going to be taking long looks at chopping mall and in intruder so i'm really i'm really looking forward to those in the meantime creep it real